Bucks coach Bruce Arians speaks about racial injustice and tells us when training camp will start and what that will look like. And Drew Brees issues an apology. Tony Dungy weighed in on the whole Brees situation. And the NHL has released some more playoff format info. We've got all that and your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. So, Steve, uh, we had a chance to talk a little bit with Bruce Arians. It's been a while. I was trying to think like the last time would have been the draft, I believe. And so he had a Zoom call with some of the writers that cover the team. And, um, of course, the topic, uh, which has been pretty much these last few weeks uh, with the death of George Floyd, uh, was about uh, racial injustice. You know, he has an interesting um, life to begin with and perspective growing up in York, Pennsylvania, uh, and he would have been probably nearing high school age or in high school in 68, 69, there were some major race riots up there in York. And York is a, is an interesting town to begin with. Um, and I've talked to Arians about, you know, his best friend, I think, growing up in life um, w- was a, uh, an African-American. And, and then, of course, he also um, was the first player in Virginia Tech history to room um, with, a, with a black athlete. Turned out it was Rondi Barber's uh, father, as a matter of fact. Um, so, so he's been, and of course we know what he's done, you know, in terms of, uh, trying to, um, you know, he's got three black, uh, coordinators, uh, trying to you know, give them opportunity to become head coaches and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, w- w- what he said was, I think carries weight. Uh, and it, it was sort of, <clears throat> it was, <laughs> it was, a, it wasn't as hopeful as I, as I thought maybe it would be, but I mean, his perspective, you know, imagine how he feels that this is something that he experienced as a young kid, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And that was his whole thing. He said, you know, it feels like, um, you know, I'm reliving the past here, but, but that hopefully, um, you know, some good will come of this, the, you know, the last three incidents that we've seen play out on TV were, were clearly horrendous and they were murders. Um, he didn't hold back. And that's the one thing I love about Bruce Arians is that you ask him a question and he'll be very blunt about it. But, um, I think that's the guy, um, who, who probably has a unique perspective. So, uh, I'll let you listen to a little bit about here's what Bruce Arians had to say when asked about uh, the racial injustice and the, the protests that are going on in this country right now. It's sickening. Um, uh, we all know when we see something that's horrific and wrong. And, uh, and you know, the, the events, uh, especially the last three events, are, are wrong. They're murders. And, uh, you know, hopefully justice will be served quickly. And, uh, you know, I've... I've there are times when I think we haven't made any progress since, since 1968 when the, when the National Guard was rolling down the streets of my hometown and, and watching what went on then, uh, the murder of Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy. Uh, what, what's, what's really improved since then? But a lot has. And, and I think right now, um, you know, I, I love the fact that people are upset and, and are raising their voices, but don't stop. You know, it's one thing to march and protest, but it's another thing to take action. And uh, when the when the protesting is over, I would I would urge everybody to take action, do something positive um, to help the situation. Don't just go back to being silent because then it's going to happen again. 
So, of course, the big news uh, yesterday um, was, and Tom and I discussed this on the podcast, was the Drew Brees flap and Brees, um, of course, mentioning that he he would never uh, support people that don't stand for the national anthem or or, uh, salute the flag, that sort of thing. And that was the the, the protester that kneels uh, during the national anthem. That was a protest, you know, several years ago with Colin Kaepernick. That got a lot of reaction from people like Malcolm Jenkins and many of his teammates. And uh, finally, you know, Breeze did issue an apology on Friday, and and I thought it was I thought it was heartfelt. You know, first and foremost, and I think we we made this point, you know, on on Thursday's podcast that look, Drew Breeze is a good guy. This is a good human being. Like um, there is there is a part of, of of me that says, wow, you know, that was sort of a flash fire a little bit. I understand truly. I, I try to understand why, um, you know, Malcolm Jenkins and others were were very upset, um, and it did. And again, it came across a little bit tone deaf to to focus sort of on the manner of the protest rather than, um, you know, what they were protesting, which was social injustice that we've seen play out now. But he said, you know, he'd like to apologize, you know, to, to friends, teammates, city of New Orleans, black community. Uh, he said, and, you know, in, a, in an attempt to uh, talk about respect and unity and solidarity around the American flag, the national anthem, he thought he made some comments that were insensitive and missed the mark on the issues, you know, that are facing this country. And I thought they lacked awareness and compassion. And he's, he realizes now that, that those words, which he owned, um, can be divisive. Uh, and and then, he, then he said, you know, this is where I stand. And he went on to explain... Um, you know that clearly he's there with the black community in the fight against racial injustice and police brutality, and he condemned the years of oppression. And he he knows that everyone, including himself, um, has not done enough, and and he recognizes that he can be part of the solution. And I and I thought that this part was interesting. He said, "I'm sick about the way my comments were perceived yesterday," and and this sort of like you know, shows how much he was stung by it. He said, but I take full responsibility and accountability. I recognize that I should do less talking and more listening. Um, and, you know, and, and then he asked for forgiveness. But I really, do, I can't imagine what it was like for Drew Brees. And, and it's been on all the news shows now, you know, CNN and Fox and all that. Uh, he became a trending figure. Um, and that had to really have stung him. And And I think He's got work to do in that locker room, but from what I could tell on social media, most of his teammates or a lot of them, um, you know, uh, appreciated what he had to say on Friday, um, seemed to be okay with it. The, the, you know, the test will come, of course, you know, when he gets to training camp and all of that. I mean, he's accomplished so much that no one's going to doubt sort of what he's about on the football field, but credibility uh, his credibility took a little bit of a hit, and it's a big part of that quarterback position. And um, there'll be some some mending offenses that he'll have to do in person with some of his players. But I'm pretty convinced that Drew Brees will will find a way to navigate this, just because he has so much equity in that locker room. And and uh, I think people will, you know, will will understand that that we all. Uh, say things that maybe are awkward or come out the wrong way and, and are insensitive in their own way. And that's what we've been talking about. It's what this whole situation has been these last few weeks. I thought Tony Dungy, um, Steve, had a really good take on the whole situation, on the Breeze situation. You explained it pretty well. Yeah, and Tony, and you'll hear the comments in a second here, but 
you know, you and I talked about this last night and Tom uh, off right. the air, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, part of the problem of what's happened around is no one's listening. Yep. And, and that's been a complaint from the black community in this that no one's listening to them from, sure. you know, Kaepernick's protests back in 2016 was not about the flag and military, although it got mm-hmm. it, it got perceived that way by many. And that's mm-hmm. what it became about instead of what it really was about. He, that's right. not what he was protesting. Although, right. like I said, it got perceived that way. Neither side was listening. You know, Drew Brees in his statements didn't say, I, I'm, I'm against what they stand for. I, I, I think everything's fine. The police have done great work and there's no, right. there, I don't know what the issue is. That's not what he said at all. All he said was, I don't agree with the, the avenue they took to protest four years ago, and I wouldn't do that. He was specifically asked if, if he would kneel if it happened this year, which sure. is why that came up. It's not like he just brought it up on his own. Mm-hmm. Is that neither side was, you know, and, and everyone's hurt, and I under, I can understand that, but you have to listen to the other side in, in that Drew wasn't disagreeing with Malcolm Jenkins, Ed Reed, name the players who came out upset with him, and, and for good reason, but you know, it, it wasn't like Drew saying, I think you're wrong. Right. He just didn't didn't like four years ago the way that they protested to bring attention to it. You can agree or disagree with that, but that's that's Drew Brees' theory on it. Obviously, those players had a different take, but Tony summed it up very well right here. Who has to have those conversations, you think, Tony? Who, who, who? We all have to have them, we, and we have to have Drew Brees. Sam, what he said, I don't, I don't downgrade Drew for that, okay? That's what he said. He may not totally understand. It may have been uh, not exactly the way he wanted to express it, but he can't be afraid to say that. And we can't be afraid to say, okay, Drew, I don't agree with you, but let's talk about this and let's, let's, let's sit down and talk about it. We can't just say anytime something happens that we don't agree with, hey, I'm done with that and I'm done with this person. And that doesn't make sense. Uh, we, we have to be better than that. This battle is not going to be won by demonstrating and throwing bricks through windows uh, it's not going to be won by the, the government saying, hey, we're going to bring out these weapons and dominate the streets again. That is not going to fix anything. Yeah, and I think the one thing Tony said there, which I you know I really appreciated, was that you know uh, that, that Drew Brees and others can't be afraid to say what he said. And, and, and as, as a group, we can't be afraid to talk, then have a discussion about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just can't be outrage. It just can't be I'm done with you. You know, oh, if that's how you feel, then, you know, screw you. You're a fraud. You know, we're too quick to make judgments about everybody in this country, whether it's political, racial, you name it. And there needs to be a lot more listening on on, on, on everybody's part, especially for those, uh, you know, that, that haven't been oppressed. Um, and, you know, we've sort of um, not listened enough. Uh, but But in general, I just think that, you know, a lot more listening and less talking uh, on, on on every side, whatever the issue is, whatever you believe, and and some tolerance for those positions, and you know somewhere there we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll be able to make progress. But well, one of the uh, one of the problems we have today is that social media, and it, not that social media is a problem, but the way your feeds are set up and the way that the algorithms uh, from Twitter and Facebook and Instagram right. and you name it, the way it's set up is. Based on what you believe, what you post in that, those are the yeah. types of posts you see more often. Even if you try to follow a, a diverse, whatever the subject, whether it's politics or sports or whatever else, it's going to show kind of what 
what their profile of you is so that it's giving you the content that they think you want. And so you end up in this echo chamber. And whether it right. doesn't matter what your political beliefs are, your race, your whatever, you end up in an echo chamber on most social media mm-hmm. because if I post about this, this, and this, those are the types of feeds it's going to show me and suggest for me in this, and it's not going to give right. me a diverse. And so because of that, we live in this echo chamber that when we hear people that disagree with us, we get upset, and it's like I'm done with you and this, and it's, it's easy to yeah. block and mute and, and never have to deal with it again. And you know, we end up in this echo chamber of – all we do is people that agree with us 95% of the time is all we hear from. And so th- that's mm-hmm. where I think a lot of this divisiveness comes from is that we've social media has allowed us to isolate ourselves or it's kind of forced it on you actually by their algorithms that you just don't hear the opposite side enough. And so when you get those comments, you get enraged. Yeah, and I'll go a step further. I I think that it, it's uh, divided us in the sense that we can create our own utopia. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we can look. I and I I love the people that I associate with, uh, you know, in my neighborhood, my friends, um, outside of my neighborhood, family, whatever. We don't agree on on everything, but I do know that if all you listen to is one TV station that agrees with you, if you're able to like this or that and you know go on facebook and create um you know select your friends who believe the way you do and and it really is that you know you can live in a totally different world than anybody else and never know the difference i mean you literally can create your own world you know because you're only getting one side of the news one viewpoint um people that that uh, look like you think like you go to the same schools as you um, you can actually do that now. That never used to be the case. You know, I hate to say it, but, and people won't remember this unless you're over 50 years old, probably, or 45. But there was a time when, when Walter Cronkite said it, you believed it. And that's the only, that's the only man you trusted, right? I mean, like there was three major news networks and, and, and by gosh, none of them were slanted. They, they gave it to you straight, and, and uh, everybody got the same information. And what you thought about it was up to you, but um, you couldn't select your own sort of world, right? It's like my, my, my daughter plays these video games, and um, there's this game called Sims, and the people, people that have kids will know about this. And from cradle to grave, they can create people, right? They can select race, color, creed, eye color, hair color. You're like the god of this world, right? And you can build this world and you can have them go to work, you can make them anything you want them to be. You can create basically a you know, sort of a a fake world for lack of a better term, right? And that's kind of what we do in life these days. You know what I mean? Like we we create our own reality, you know, and I think that that can be dangerous. So I would agree with you that that the algorithms or, or you know whatever is responsible for it, um, there is a lot of that that's going on. I don't think it's drawing us closer. I mean, on the one hand, what a great you know platform, social media, athletes can get their message directly to the fans, and you don't have to mince words, and you don't need interpretation. And but you know what? It's also sometimes 140 characters. You know. And and there's a and and there's a lot to be there's a lot of uh, video and audio are 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 different than the than the printed word. That's why, you know, our kids today um, live in a world of texting, right? 
but they've lost the ability or some ability to communicate, you know, verbally as a result. And, you know, believe me, some of the texts, you know, I get from a boss or from work, they read different than how they're intended. It's very, it's open to interpretation. Sometimes you can't hear inflection. You can't. So I totally agree with you. I, I think that that is a problem. There's a lot of wonderful things about the way we're connected to the world these days. Um, the world, we realize how much smaller and how many more things we have in common. But by the same token, we've, we've actually, we've actually, it's, it's divided us as well. So it's a good observation um, for sure. There was some uh, NHL news. We got a lot of sports news actually in all the leagues, uh, if you will. And I'll get back to uh, Bruce Arians and what he had to say about training camp here in a minute as well. Well, let me start there for starters since we're, uh, we started with Bruce. Um, he did on that uh, Zoom call that we had with him indicate that the plan is to go to training camp on July 21st. That's going to be the Bucks training camp report day. Um, they, however, uh, are hoping to have a maybe a quarterback school and or they'll have some re- uh, rookie orientation before that, probably about the 15th of July. He does not as I have said on this podcast before, anticipate there being any fans involved um, at training camp. You won't be going out there to watch them practice. Unfortunately, that, that is not the year. You know, try to keep the fans safe, certainly keep the players safe. We know that there's not going to be joint practices, and the Bucks, he said, had um, arranged for practices uh, with Jacksonville and Tennessee, so those are off. So basically, you know, once they go to training camp, and they don't expect to have really – now, I know there's 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 sort of an expectation. Coaches are allowed to be back in. I think uh, next week, uh, and uh, I think there was an expectation maybe some players would come in after that. But in reality, I, I think they just want to bring him back for training camp. I don't. I don't. I think there's pretty much a a sort of a consensus that you test them, you get everybody tested, you get them in the hotels, you get them together, they stay together as a team. Um, We'll see what happens with preseason games. I'm not thoroughly convinced we're going to have those, although I know they're on the schedule. Um, but, you know, once those teams are together, they're going to stay together. And it's going to, certainly going to change the role that media plays and what our access is to them and all of that. Um, but the key dates are if everything, you know, and everything changes every day, but if everything stays the same, July 15th, which is, you know, not that many weeks away. Um, we're like five, six weeks away from that. And then the 21st for for training camp. So we're getting there. And then I guess uh, even more importantly, the NHL, we're, we're ready. We're ready for some hockey. We have a playoff format, right? Yeah. So we knew that there's 24 teams uh, going to the play are two hub cities. There'll be one for the Eastern conference, one for the Western conference. Do we and know those cities yet? Or are we just speculating? No, we, do not, we do not know the Columbus. cities yet. We do not know the yeah. cities yet. Uh, we okay. do know Tampa will not be one. In particular, right, because right. they don't have six locker rooms to handle. There's going to be in the early rounds. There's going to be six games or three games a day, meaning six mm-hmm. teams in the arena every day. So uh, your gotcha. arena has to be able to to host six, essentially six locker rooms, because they have to clean them out and sanitize them afterwards and all that stuff. So, uh, but what we do know now is the qualifying round will be a best of five series, which the Lightning have a. They're a top four seed, so they're not in the qualifying round. They're in the playoffs. But we do know now that that once you get to sixteen teams, every series will be best of seven, like it always is. So there was oh, wow. there was some speculation the first round or second round could be best of five, depending right. on if they need to get this you know everything in quicker, depending when they start. But they have announced that those will be best of sevens. That the 
round robin will determine the top four seeds seeding. So the Bruins right now, in theory, would be the one seed in the East. But the three round robin games you play, so the Lightning will play the Bruins, the Capitals, and the Flyers. And based on uh, those four teams, what their record is in the round robin will determine the seeds one through four. What's different this year about the playoffs is that the highest remaining seed in each conference will face the lowest remaining seed. And so they'll, they'll keep reseeding the playoffs, essentially, which in the past they've always just done a bracket. So Interesting. whoever the number one seed is will, will play the lowest remaining seed in each round, kind of what the NFL does. I mean, that, that's how the NFL does their playoffs. Right. So, cause you don't, so you don't know who your second-round opponent is necessarily if you win. You, it could be several different teams. And I mean, by doing that, they they bring uh, importance to the round robin that those teams that have already made the playoffs are, are playing essentially. Yeah, I think you want to make sure you're a, a top seed, so you're playing. In theory, you're playing the team, the lowest remaining seed left. Sure, um, you're not locked into. Okay, we get the winner of you know Toronto and whoever they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that'll all be up in the air too. And then for the the Stanley Cup, the home team will be determined based on regular season points percentage. And home home matters. I mean, even though you're not in your arena, uh, line changes. You know, the home team gets the last line change. So that's right. If you're playing, you know, Vegas, and they send out the whichever you know whichever line they send out, you get to decide who you want to match up with them because you get the last change. So in games one, two, five, and seven, the team with the higher regular season points percentage will be the home team. They get the last change. In games three, four, and six, you get you know you're the visiting team. You get the first change. So. Those rules still apply even though you're at a neutral site. Do we have a, a sense of when, when they want to start this Stanley Cup playoffs? I mean, are we talking about the end of July? Or? I, I think you're talking – I think it's probably early August, you know, maybe the last day or two of July. I, I think, you know, if, if the players start returning to arenas – and they haven't started Phase 2 yet, which is players returning to arenas in small groups to work out in that. Right. Um, not officially – it's not training camp at that point, but – uh, if they can do that in the next week or so, you're probably going to have three or four weeks of that. Uh, then you're going to get probably a two-week training camp, uh, probably most teams at their home arenas, and then you'll go to the Hub City. Uh, there'll probably be some workouts there. You may even play some exhibition games, and then, then you get going. With um, you know the, the, the teams in the qualifying round have a best-of-five series. The round-robin teams will have three games to play, one against each of the teams in their, the, the top four seeds. So. Probably very late July, but more likely early August, assuming everything goes smooth from here on out. And now the NBA, on the other hand, uh, they're getting closer to, to sort of deciding what, what their tournament and or playoffs are going to look like. So the Board of Governors has agreed to a 22-team 20 team, uh, uh, return in Orlando. Everybody will be at the Wide World of Sports. I believe all teams will play, I think I saw eight games prior to mm-hmm. the playoffs to determine – seeding and who makes the playoffs so they lopped off right. eight teams essentially right um but so yeah they're they're uh they're getting closer to to returning and then you got major league baseball <laughs> which which is nowhere man i'll tell you what um you know i still believe because i'm an optimist that the cooler heads are going to prevail here but basically you know they the players rejected major league baseball's proposal clearly because they were asking for them to um, you know, take even more of a pay reduction than the pro rata form. And so baseball countered and said, okay, well, you know, uh, they, you know, the players wanted a hundred and something games perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, to 114 wrap it up and, because they want to get paid uh, as much money as possible. Get paid as much as they can. And baseball said, well, if you're not going to look at our 
structure. We'll give you the pro rata. How about 50 games? <laughs> and this is not ending well. This is this is not what we call communicating. I guess they're both in a bargaining position, and maybe they'll meet somewhere in the middle. But now you're looking at if they go, if they go, you know, you get paid for the games you play. You're at about a third of the season, right, or less than a third of the season. Yeah, fifty games would be less than a third. The shame of this is baseball could almost be back playing at this point. They could be within within a couple weeks if they would have already been back to spring training 2.0, and and they could have had the summer or the first part of the summer to themselves playing. Right. Now they're going to maybe start later than the NBA or hockey, although I, I think oh. they'll still be – I think they can still beat hockey for sure. I don't, the NBA, I'm not certain. And they're going to share the spotlight as those are in the playoffs as they're returning. And, and maybe the and, start and, of the and, NFL. And the NBA, well, yeah, I mean, they always c- compete with that late in the season. Right. But the NBA, right. I think most likely, is going to change their season to go December to August from now on. Which means baseball is not going to have the summer to themselves anymore, right? And hockey is considering that too. That everybody wants to get out of that NFL window, and that could hurt baseball long term too. That the, you know, one of the reasons NASCAR came back so quickly, and golf is you know going to be back next week, is they want some of that spotlight to themselves. They want to sure try to do. grow the sport and gain gain some viewership and, and listenership and you know people following and maybe people that used to like NASCAR don't watch it anymore or watching it because it's the only live thing on TV and they become fans again. I mean, that's what they're hoping Absolutely. for. Absolutely, Baseball had a shot, shot to do that, and I think they're, they're not going to be able to do that. Um, and, and, and let alone if they end up playing 20 games as a season or something. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... I mean, I, but talk about a sprint. I mean, this is major league base. This mm-hmm. isn't like a little league season where you have your first and second half winners. You know, you play twenty twenty five games. I mean, this this is a major league club playing fifty games. Um, there won't be a whole lot separating some teams after fifty games. I think ultimately they'll settle closer to seventy or eighty games. I th- yeah. I think it'll get done. I th- baseball has half had, a season. Baseball yeah. has the hardest road to get back, and, and the reason is because their season hasn't started yet. I mean, the NBA mm-hmm. and the NHL are talking about getting their playoffs in, which is what everybody right. wants to play. Everyone, you know, all the players want to award a Stanley Cup. They want to raise that NBA Finals trophy. Sure they you do. Know? And they've also got paid for the season already. That's right. Baseball's difference is the players haven't been paid yet, but the owners' revenues are going to be way down. Now, you can argue how much and if they're actually losing money or not if they play games. And we don't know that because baseball's books aren't as open as the other sports because they don't have full revenue sharing and salary caps and floors as the other sports do. But you know that it's a harder it's a harder thing for baseball because none of the season's been played. I mean, if 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 this was still going on come the NFL season, the NFL could be in a similar situation as well because sure. nobody got paid their regular season. You know, the NHL, you know, the players have already been paid in full for the season. It's about awarding a Stanley Cup at this time and bringing in the revenue that comes with it, too, because that affects next year's salary caps and player salaries and all that. So, I mean, there's, everyone's got a financial interest in, in finishing the season. Same with the NBA as well. But the players have been paid for the season already. So baseball is harder because the owners can say, we're not going to do a season and no players get paid. Yeah, it's a mess. I, I again, I, I can't imagine that uh, when push comes to shove, they they won't realize that in the best interest of themselves and the game and and its fans that they need to they need to come to an agreement of some kind in what is unusual and and you know uh, keeping in mind that next year they're looking at a possible work stoppage and 
have to have a whole new you know CBA hammered out. Um, so you could have a delay to the start of that season. It's just it's optically it's bad, but it's also bad for business because baseball has its own challenges right now. We all know what they are. We've talked about them ad nauseum, and you know you can't you can't disappear off the screen literally uh, and expect people to continue to follow you when you're losing viewers as it is. So hope they get that back together, man. That's uh, that's that's a sobering split that they have right now, but they still have some time to work on it. And hope they do it. So we've got a bunch of uh, we got some mailbag questions we can still get to. We got time in the podcast for that. So normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Let's jump on them. Well, we'll start out with UK Bucks who ask, Rick. Shouldn't we have seen this scenario coming along? Breeze is fired or retires. Jameis Winston starts, beats the Bucks in week one, throws for 500 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. As you say, we can't have nice things. <laughs> I do say that, and I appreciate UK Bucks for, uh, for agreeing with me. Um, this is the, always the nightmare that the Buccaneers franchise has always lived when they you know, kick a, uh, you know, a number one draft pick at quarterback to the curb. And, you know, we, it's well documented, you know, from Doug Williams to Steve Young to Trent Dilfer. Um, you know, there's been guys that have left Tampa Bay and gone on and, and won Super Bowls. Trent did it in his own stadium. Now, was he the reason? Was he the reason they won? No, he was not. Uh, there was a great defense that, that carried the Ravens in 2000, but he was certainly a part of the equation. So, I mean, I think, I think all of that is, you know, is like the fear that that Bucks fans live with. But look, you can't you can't look. You've got Tom Brady. You got to look forward. You can't look. You can't look past. You can't be afraid of what might happen. I will say this: that I don't know what's going to happen with Drew Brees. I think he'll be okay. But Drew Brees is forty-one years old, and you know he's been a guy that's played every game with the exception, really, of last year when he when he had sort of a uh, a thumb injury that wasn't related necessarily to you know to his advancing age he just simply got got his thumb torn up now is his arm what it used to be is his shoulder no you can see decline in Drew Brees' game you really can given what's happened this offseason if if Jameis Winston goes in there and he's not going to get a lot of reps and he may not get any preseason games we don't know um, but there's going to be a lot of players curious about Jameis Winston and that organization is going to be curious about him because they have him for one year under contract they also have Taysom Hill, who they seem to like, and they have him for two years. If things don't start off real well, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I would imagine that it's Breeze's show, and, and I don't know what it would take to get him out of there. Um, but you know, if Jameis just keeps his head down, man, something's bound to happen. I mean, it's Buck Luck, right? I mean, it's just he's got that going for him, and he's in the division, and he said that's why he went there. He wants to beat the Bucks twice a year, every year for his life. And it, it just the opportunity may come sooner than later, and you just don't know how these things work out. But you know, right now, you know, if you're if you're Jameis Winston, you're probably you know lifting that extra weight and running that extra lap, right? And you're just 
you're kind of seeing this thing play out and saying, okay. Um, but you still got to go in there and, and compete with a guy that's got 20 years of experience and a Super Bowl uh, and is beloved in that city. Maybe not so much by his teammates anymore. But yeah, if you want to if you want to paint the the uh, the absolute scenario, it's you know nightmare scenario for the Bucks and their Bucks fans. It's Jameis Winston not just beating the Bucks maybe in Week One. I don't know if that'll happen, but it's Jameis Winston. However, it happens being in the Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium, quarterbacking the New Orleans Saints. And look, even when Doug Williams won a Super Bowl, you know he played about three or four games that whole year. I mean, people forget that Jay Schrader was their quarterback. And Jay got hurt. Doug played a little bit, and they went back to Jay, and it it just destroyed Doug that Joe Gibbs decided to do that. Um, and then Jay didn't play particularly well, and it came down to a decision entering the playoffs, and he went ahead and went with Doug, which was, you know, not necessarily uh, a given that he was going to do that. And then, of course, the rest, as they say, is history. And even Doug got hurt early in the Super Bowl, and it looked like you know his dream may die right there. But things happen, and. He's on a good football team that's got a good chance to win the AFC South, certainly make, make the uh, playoffs again. And when they do, that Super Bowl is still going to be in Tampa whenever they play it. So you never know what happens. It could happen during the game. They could, you know, if the Saints make the Super Bowl, maybe something happens to Breeze during the game. That's what's so great about sports is you can't write these scripts. It's better than um, anything somebody could dream up. You just let it play out, and you're going to see something that you're, you're just not going to believe. All right, Ravi asks, Rick, can you please confirm if Brady and the receivers are still meeting up and practicing since you last climbed through the bushes and swam through the ponds to photograph You them? added that part. I, I, I saw the, the question. Part. I did add the last you, part. That is embellishment of a, of a, a Sports Day Tampa Bay uh, mailbag, and I'm reporting you to the, uh, to the Sports Day Tampa Bay Postal Department for that um, because it's fake news. I did not crawl through anything. Although we had a very long lens, I'll give you that. And we weren't trespassing either. Um, so, uh, listen, I I could confirm that they're still working out. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily want to go through, you know, sort of what I did, uh, went through the first time, but it wouldn't take much effort. I have not been out there. I will tell you this. So personally, I have not been out there since. Um, the, the, the days that I understood them to be working out, uh, remember right after that, that Tuesday, Tom Brady had the golf tournament and he left on Thursday, I think, and went over there to the East Coast and played that Sunday with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and um, Peyton Manning. So since then, I would uh, I would have every expectation that they have. I asked Bruce Arians about it on Thursday. He made it sound like they're continuing to work out, you know, uh, and that uh, there is even more participation, as he said. So, yes, uh, I, I think with with you know i can safely say and i don't know where i'm not going to tell everybody look you can go line up at berkeley prep if you want they still got a big guard gate there you're not going to see them so um, if that's where they're at but yes i i do believe that uh, there is confirmation that those those workouts are continuing now do guys have vacation is it always tom brady you know there's two other quarterbacks that were out there is it every guy every week has gronkowski joined them uh, Chris Godwin, I wasn't able to confirm, but I think he could have been there. I couldn't tell you that because, no, I've not physically watched them practice since. I might do it before we get to training camp, the way things are going. But um, I think you can be. it's safe to say that they are uh, continuing to practice, yes. All right, I won't embellish this question. Les asked, <laughs> Rick, did Jameis Winston fail the Bucks, or did the Bucks fail Jameis Winston? 
Um, look, I think Jameis Winston got every opportunity to be a success here. I mean, they're a quarter. Look, when, when you're when you're drafted number one overall, it's a tough it's a tough thing, right? Um, you're going to the worst football team in the league, and not only that, but you know you're kind of perceived as the savior of that franchise if you're the quarterback. You know, it's different. If you're Bo Jackson or you're a running back getting drafted number one, that's a little different. But to be a quarterback taking number one, going to the worst team, those are high expectations. And yet a lot of the quarterbacks that win Super Bowls, you know, were drafted in the first round or one overall, whether you're talking about Peyton Manning or, or you know, Eli or – um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was taken in the first round. I mean, those are the names that we're used to seeing winning Super Bowls when it's not Tom Brady, uh, who was taken in the sixth round. So he had the pressure on him to begin with. Now, they built around him, okay? It was all about the offense. When Lovey Smith took him, the idea was, we're going to build around this quarterback. And in the same draft, they took Donovan Smith and Ali Marpet. The year before, they had Mike Evans. Uh, they continue to get guys like uh, O.J. Howard. Cam Brake was on this football team. Um, you know, they went out and, and spent money on offensive linemen, Ryan Jensen. I mean, they really did put a lot of focus on the offense. And, you know, almost to the detriment of the defense, I think. And the idea was that, you know, they could build, that Lovey Smith could build around the defense and that that would be, you know, sufficient that he he could do enough with the players he had, and then eventually they would they would turn their attention to that. But it never happened. So a lot was on Jameis. This is a long way of saying a lot was on Jameis. Jameis had to carry the team, right? They weren't going to stop many people. Remember the game they lost at Washington? Um, you know, the you like that game that wasn't on Jameis. And, and so I thought he got off to a pretty good start, but the turnovers were a real thing. Now part of the problem was that Jameis had a savior complex. I mean, Jameis really felt like he had to make every play. And there was a time when he did. But then they had plenty of weapons around him, and the turnovers continued, right? But it wasn't like, you know, some some situations where you might have three or four coaches. Now, he had three, but he, his third one was in his last season. Dirk Cutter was his offensive coordinator when he came into the building, and Dirk Cutter was his head coach, and he was running the same offense up until last year. So you can't really blame a lack of continuity there was a lot of opportunities for Jameis Winston to do great things. He got himself in trouble because he had the off-field problem. Um, you know, when he was suspended for three games, even with all that happened at Florida State, he still couldn't straighten that situation out. So I don't buy that the Bucks failed Jameis Winston. I think when you're put out there as many times as he was, and look, it's not like he was a bust in the sense that he did nothing. I mean, this guy went to a Pro Bowl. He did have a one-winning season. Um, you know, he, he threw for 5,109 yards, even though, and, and 33 touchdowns, which are team records. I mean, he's leaving here with, you know, the most, almost every passing record that the Bucks have had in just, in just five years. So it wasn't like he wasn't productive at all. Uh, did he fulfill his promise as a franchise player? No, because he never made it to a second contract, which has been something that's been consistent with this organization from its inception. No quarterback has made it to a second contract. They picked up his fifth-year option. And now he's in New Orleans as their presumptive number two or three quarterback making a million dollars. So now you see what the rest of the league thinks of him as well. Um, so, no, I don't think the Bucks failed him. But, look, this is an organization that 
didn't exactly support Steve Young, didn't support Doug Williams, didn't support Trent Dilfer. I mean, although Trent had a great defense, I mean, you know, they still had to move on and find Brad Johnson. I would argue that that maybe Trent let them down. But uh, I just think that that's been sort of emblematic of, of this franchise. And, and so, but in this instance, for all the resources they used to help Jameis and put surround guys around him, I, I don't think the Bucks failed him. I think he got every shot here. I really do. All right, Craig in Vegas asked, with Major League Baseball more than likely not playing, what is the future of the Rays' current roster? Will they move certain players now versus after next season? Since they didn't play, they always move guys before they have to pay them. I don't know, Steve. You're around the Rays uh, more than I am, but I mean, my sense is that they really like this ball club, and mm-hmm. they didn't do a whole lot in the off season to really change it. I mean, this is a team that won 97 games. If anything, they were looking to add right now. I don't know what happens with Charlie Morton if they don't play. I don't know what happens to certain guys, but uh, on the whole, I mean, I, I think I think they're looking to add as much as they're looking to, to to run anybody off at this point. Yeah, assuming that nobody gets service time and that the contracts are just you know not paid because yeah. the season wasn't played. Morton would have a, there's an option on Morton's third year on his contract, right? Um, you know. The advantage the Rays have at this point is that all, you know, with the exception of like a Kevin Kiermeyer and Charlie Morton, is their players are all on, you know, their their entry level deals or you know first or second year of arbitration. They're a very young team, um, yeah, you know, and they tend to trade their players in order to get more players under what they call team control. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, yeah, I think they'd be looking to add to their roster. I don't think you'd see a ton of changes outside of, mm-hmm. hey, we got you know like they traded Tommy Pham to get Hunter Renfro and a certain, you know, word prospect that Blake Snell said. Um, you know, <laughs> Who will so, be a year older and closer to playing next yeah, year. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't see a, a ton of change on their roster per se, other than, you know, they're always looking for ways to upgrade or find a, a player that they really like that has the, yeah. you know, the exit velocity or this stat or this, you know, this type of, of, of skill set that they're looking for. Um, you know, we haven't seen Suits Go play yet. We, you know, uh, Hunter Renfro as well. I mean, they, they made lots of changes to the roster this year. It, you know, yeah, they did. Not, it's not as many as, as, you know, it's not big names per se, but there was changes made. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, there, everyone, you know, I, there, I don't think there's really any free agents coming up this year. There's, you know, now, how does arbitration handle it? If you were in arbitration this year and you got this much money, do you go to arbitration next year or does that just carry over? You know, there's some things like that would have to be worked out, I guess. Yeah. Uh, between baseball and the players union and that. But yeah, I don't I don't see a ton of uh turnover necessarily or at least you know, unless it's you know, what could happen is there's some younger guys that are now ready to play and you get rid of some of, you know, your older guys who may only be their fourth or fifth year, but you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Wander Franco, even though he's not playing this year, you know, whatever Still workouts he's doing older. whatever else, you may be next year ready to say, "Okay, let's give him a shot at the big leagues." You know, now he didn't. You know, he hasn't been playing this year per se, but doesn't mean he's not working out and and still, you know, growing as a. You know, he's still a young kid, you growing know, as fill, a person, out the body, physically, yeah, all physically, that, yeah. and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And maybe next year you think he's ready to play, and that changes some things. And you know, so you have things like that that could happen. But I don't see. A, you know, a, um, there's not like there's a ton of free agents all of a sudden that we're going to be leaving yeah. at the end of this year. And that's the thing. The disappointing thing is that they had a good ball club, and you don't know what's going to – you know, does Charlie Morton just retire? You know, does he decide to come back and play after all? Mm-hmm. It was sort of iffy if he was going to play this year even. 
Um, and, and then for the younger players, you know, wouldn't you have loved, didn't Willie Adamas need a whole year, mm-hmm. you know, did, wouldn't it have been great to him to take the momentum of, of the way he was playing the second half of last season and in the playoffs and, and continue that, you know, and now he's lost that he'll never get that year back, you know, and that's the thing. You don't know how many years you have to play in professional sports and, and these, these is lost time and whether they get credit for major league service or not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about actual, the, the at-bats, the 500 at-bats, right, the uh, the 150 games, whatever, um, that they would have used uh, to gain experience and confidence and production uh, that they then would, you know, get paid for eventually. And so it, it's everybody loses here. You know, it's like the old everybody dies in the end of the book, right? I mean, th- there is there is no survivors. Uh, it, it's a shame. Um, you know, Blake Snell is another guy that, you know, um, is, is, is uber talented and you know you'd love to see if he can get back to his Cy Young ways who knows what he is a year from now I think he'll be good but you know all, all everything nothing is guaranteed anymore you know and so you just hope that they get some season in and can use whatever is left of this one to gain that experience and hopefully make it into the playoffs and and see what they can do but it's it's a damn shame for a team that that had so much good feelings about it. it's a good ball club and you know I would think it would be pretty much kept together after that but but every year is different and um but i don't think it's going to be like a wholesale sell-off or anything they're a young ball club they're, they they can take comfort in the fact that there are guys in the minor leagues like you mentioned wonder franco and others um that they're going to see up here next year or the year after john asks do you think the covid crisis will have an impact on the rays in their pursuit of looking at montreal as a second home you know i suppose it could I don't know, you know, what the finances of baseball, it may make it, I don't know, maybe, I mean, in some ways, the Braves don't have a ton of money, I suppose. I don't, I don't know what their books look like, but I guess in some ways you could say, well, you know, it, it draws more urgency for a move um, if they lose a year of revenues. Uh, you could look at it that way, or you could say, you know, there's no momentum. I mean, these kind of deals require momentum. They require people wanting baseball they require baseball to be played um you know there's it's certainly not going to help them locally i mean you know out of sight out of mind i don't think you're going to get you know fans or or county commissions or property owners to, to you know to try to cut deals with them now so whatever they had proposed whatever uh, again these things take momentum they take timing they're they're big deals to do and everything's at a standstill, so it, it's not going to make it easier. I, I don't, I don't know that it'll completely cancel those plans. I think they're kind of committed to doing this, but um, it, it certainly won't make things go quicker. Well, here, here's what way. I think could impact: is stadiums may be smaller, and that may reduce Absolutely. some of the cost to produce stadiums in both venues, or if you end up staying one in one here. completely, but. Yeah, you know, with this COVID crisis, we may make stadiums a lot smaller. Oh, I, I absolutely think that's going to be the case. I will guarantee you, uh, and I think that'll be the case in football. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. even though they build a, monstros- a monstrosity in in places like Los Angeles and and maybe Las Vegas, um, when you talk to 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 owners and people in franchises like I have, um, you know, COVID is going to be an impact. We know TV has been an impact. Uh, the sports dollar is stretched. 
Um, you know, it's harder and harder to fill these 75,000 seat stadiums or 65,000 seat stadiums, no matter what you're selling, no matter what the sport is. We've seen baseball do it. And I think baseball will continue to do it. I think the NFL is going to be that way. I really do. And I, I've always said that I think what you're going to have is the very, I think they're going to price a lot of people out. Now they'll always try to offer some seats, you know, in the upper level or whatever, but I think those stadium sizes are going to re- be reduced. I think you're going to have more amenities, right? Uh, more separation because of those amenities, perhaps. Uh, club seats, sky suites, and whatnot. And so the people with, with resources will be going to the games and everybody else, uh, you know what? You may be watching them on TV. How do they make up that revenue? Mm, ever heard of pay-per-view? Yeah. I think that's. Kind of, I think in the NFL that will happen one day. I just don't think they're going to always – always give every game away for free. And I don't know, I don't know what form that will take, um, whether you have to have direct TV. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But I do know this, that the, the owners are, if they shrink the stadiums, they're not looking to make less money. They're trying to make more. So whether that's TV deals or what they have to do to make up for it. But I, I totally think that you're right, on, you're right on track, and especially with baseball. I think you're going to see smaller, intimate stadiums. And, and maybe that does play into the race hands whether it's here in montreal or both all right that's all the questions we have for today so i would like to apologize to the listeners that i'm not tom jones <laughs> for a four straight day or may- maybe all the listeners are thrilled about that i'm not sure so <laughs> they're pro- there's probably a lot that are i can assure you of that but uh you know it was great that he hopped on the other night though i mean i i didn't <laughs> we didn't mean to that to wasn't planned you. that wasn't planned no no, he kind of right before me and you went on. I got a text message from him, and we were just kind of discussing. And I go, "Well, you seem like you have a lot of thoughts. You want to come on?" He goes, "Okay, sure." <laughs> so I was like, and that's how he said it too over text. I heard yes, his voice. Yes, absolutely. Okay, sure. Um, so so we had him on, but it's you know what? I mean, hey, it, Tom was. Uh, I mean, back in the day, not only did you put us together on radio, we put us together on his podcast. So he was. Uh, yeah, you can blame like me. I said he was one of the founding. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the. I will. Thanks a lot uh, for the founding fathers, but. Uh, but yeah, no, it was cool. And uh, but yeah, well, look, anytime we can get guys, him, Chris has been great, uh, Torello. I mean, we we have our regulars, and we'll have more uh, next week as well, and maybe some surprises. So, uh, listen, we're getting closer to the start of sports. Uh, we want you guys to be safe. Certainly, there's a lot going on in this country right now, so be smart, and be peaceful, and all those things. But uh, We're glad that you joined us. I know this was a week where uh, there was a lot going on, and we talked about sports. We talked about some of the things socially and the protests and whatnot. Um, We'll see where it takes us next week. But I I am excited about the fact that um, these leagues are starting to find, uh, you know, ways to to open, to to re-engage. We've got golf this weekend, I think, Steve, right? Next weekend. Um, Next weekend. Was that next weekend? Okay. NASCAR has still been running. I Mm -hmm. think they're up and going. So. Things are happening, man, and all I can say is it's all coming back at once. We're going to get to July or August, and everything's going to be happening, I hope, Um, so there'll be no shortage of sports. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us every Monday through Friday. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody.